Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Feel very best of health. Around 4.2 million people across the UK use contact lenses for vision correction, with close to 800 million contacts sold each year. People choose them for a variety of reasons, but they're not without risks. Louise Gao is the RNIB's Eye Health Lead. It is possible to have sight-threatening infection from contact lenses. The risks are minimised significantly if you have them fitted correctly by a professional that knows what they're talking about, will assess your eyes and check the health of your your eyes and any risk factors that you might have and you follow their advice you look after your contact lenses however if you take shortcuts that's when you can get quite nasty infections in the eyes once you have an eye infection as long as it's treated really quickly again you can minimize the impact if you don't do the right thing increasingly we look to the internet to source things these days over and above ensuring that you're not buying fake or counterfeit contact lenses why is it important to obtain them from a reputable source. It's a really good question and it doesn't just extend to the purchasing of the actual contact lenses, it's the solutions that you might need to clean the lenses. Often I hear patients say that they don't replace their solution every day in their cases. That increases the risk significantly of infection. If you buy contact lenses on the internet and you never see a professional that knows about contact lenses, then you might think it's a logical thing to swim in your contact lenses. And we know that swimming in contact lenses increases your risk of infection significantly. It's a really high risk thing to do. Whereas if you see a professional, they'll go through the do's and don'ts, the things that will cause you harm if you don't know. How often should we be seeing the optician as a contact lens wearer? And what should you do if you've had them fitted but have concerns? At least an annual check is really, really important. There's a general rule of thumb. If your eyes are not comfortable, if you're not seeing very well, or if they're red or sticky, then they should be checked immediately. So if your eyes are telling you that something's not right, take the lenses out and go and see an optician straight away. Is there a standard hygiene regime you should follow as a contact lens wearer? Every contact lens is different and every person is different. So when you see your practitioner, they'll tell you a tailored routine for you, but there are general rules of thumb. So don't get swimming pool, tap water or shower water on your contact lenses. Don't use saliva on your contact lenses. Making sure that you stick to your wear schedule. So no one should ever wear a contact lens more than 16 hours a day unless it is specifically designed to be an extended wear lens. So for instance, a, a bandage lens that's been prescribed at the hospital. So 16 hours is your absolute maximum. And if your eyes are sore or uncomfortable, then it's telling you you're wearing them too long. Always wash your hands before you touch your contact lenses. And following the instructions on the bottle of the solution or that your optometrist has told you about, If it's a daily throwaway lens, don't be tempted to wear it again the next day. It's designed and licensed to be worn daily, so it's a throwaway at the end of the day. If you're supposed to clean your contact lenses, then what you need to do is wash your hands, pop a drop of your solution into the palm of your hand, pop your contact lens on that and give the lens a rub. Then you pop them into the case and you fill the case up with a solution. You have to store your contact lenses in that cleaning solution for at least six hours for it to be effective. And then in the morning, wash your hands again, pop a drop of the solution into the palm of your hand and just rinse the lenses over before you pop them into your eyes. 
And the step that a lot of people miss out is thinking about the case that you're storing the contact lens in. So when you've taken your contact lenses out of the case in the morning, you've put them into your eyes, rinse the case with the contact lens solution, not with anything else, dry it with a tissue, leave it open so the case dries properly during the day. And then it's nice and clean for you to put your lenses back in in the evening. So following good hygiene, having regular checkups, following the advice and asking questions. No one's going to ever be upset if you're double checking on how to look after your contact lenses or double checking because you've got a symptom that you think, is this right or will it get better or should I get it checked? My grateful thanks to Louise Gow from the RNIB. For more information, visit our website www.wordandhealth.com. That's www.wordandhealth.com. Keeping you in touch with the health and lifestyle issues that matter. This is Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Dyspraxia, a form of developmental coordination disorder, affects gross and fine motor coordination in around 5% of the population, 2% severely. It also affects organisation, planning and time management and can affect speech. Dyspraxia sometimes runs in families and affects people of all ages. A new survey has revealed a hidden and distressing link between dyspraxia and social isolation. Sally Payne is Vice Chair of the Dyspraxia Foundation. The key finding is that dyspraxic adults are at least four times more likely to feel lonely compared to others in the general population and twice as likely to feel more lonely than other people with a long-term condition. And Dyspraxia is a hidden condition, so we don't often notice when somebody is struggling, somebody whose difficulties aren't immediately apparent. We know that there's a link between dyspraxia and mental health problems. Social isolation can be contributing to that. We want everybody with dyspraxia to fulfil their potential and take a role in daily life alongside their peers, and feeling isolated can really hamper them from doing that. Sally, what are you encouraging people in the dyspraxia community to do? We want dyspraxic people to connect with others like themselves. They told us very strongly that meeting other neurodivergent people, but particularly people with dyspraxia, gave them that sense of community, a sense of identity and belonging, which then gives them the confidence to go out into the world and connect with other people, maybe sharing some of their insights, but really just having confidence in their ability to be successful. And is that something that can be achieved through the Dyspraxia Foundation? Dyspraxia Foundation offers a network of local groups around the country. These offer opportunities for dyspraxic adults or parents of dyspraxic children and young people to come together. I see you also have regular social media events through the likes of Facebook. Coming back to the network of groups that you mentioned, are they available right across the UK? We don't have groups in every part of the country and we'd really love people to come forward and we can help them to set up their own groups if there's not one available locally. Support groups offer an opportunity for people to connect with people who share interests and experiences, to know that you're not alone, that it's not just you who's experiencing life in the way that you are to share strategies, to know that other people are finding ways to connect with people outside of the dyspraxic community, maybe by meeting people with those shared interests and values through hobbies or an interest outside of work. 
learning how they've managed to make those connections to reduce that sense of social isolation can give somebody the confidence to do the same themselves. My grateful thanks to Sally Payne from the Dyspraxia Foundation. To find out more and to link through to the charity, log onto our website www.wordandhealth.com. That's www.wordandhealth.com. Word on Health. Feel very best of health. Each year in the UK, around 30,000 people have an episode of acute pancreatitis and 6 to 12 people are diagnosed with chronic pancreatitis. Although pancreatitis typically affects people in their middle or later years, it can occur at any age, including childhood, and affects both men and women. It's claimed research into it lags behind other conditions, and public perception is said to be poor, that the charity Guts UK seek to address through their Cranky Panky campaign. Julie Thompson is their information manager. Most people do not know the pancreas exists at all. It's what's called an accessory organ to the digestive system. And it's got two jobs. The first one is to produce insulin used to enable the body to utilise glucose. Now, most people will have heard of that because a lack of insulin causes diabetes, and type 1 diabetes in particular. Now, the second job of the pancreas, it produces something called digestive enzymes that enable us to digest our food. So what do we mean by pancreatitis and what causes it? Any medical term that has ITIS at the end of the word means inflammation, and this is the pancreas getting inflamed. There are over 10 different causes of pancreatitis. The most common one is gallstones produced in the gallbladder. If they get squeezed out into the ducts, they can block the pancreas. And that stops the digestive enzymes from entering the digestive system and that causes inflammation in the pancreas. The second most common cause of pancreatitis is of alcohol intake over and above healthy limits. They can be caused by a trauma, for example, if somebody has an accident. Some medications can cause pancreatitis. Some people have genetic problems that can cause it. Very rarely COVID-19 and other viruses can cause pancreatitis. So lots of different reasons. So acute pancreatitis is an episode and chronic is a longer term condition. And I understand one in 10 people who experience acute pancreatitis, there's no known cause. And that's called idiopathic pancreatitis. If you have an episode, what are the symptoms? A sudden onset of belly pain in the upper abdomen, and that can start over minutes to hours. And essentially, that's a pain that people can't ignore. It's a really, really painful condition, one of the most painful. Pain can also travel through to the back as well, and that might sort of indicate that that it is a pancreatitis type pain. People can feel sick, they can be sick, they can also have a temperature and a high heart rate and and that tends to happen in more severe pancreatitis. And these are symptoms that you need immediate medical attention for. If you have one episode, what's the odds of having another? For people who have an episode of pancreatitis, 8 out of 10 of them won't have another episode. 2 out of 10 of them might have another episode of acute, or if there's been a more longer-term damage to the way the pancreas works, they can have chronic or long-term pancreatitis. 
There's so much more to say about all forms of pancreatitis than we have available in this short feature. We'll have more on the wordandhealth.com website. Let's focus on acute. I read on your website that you may be in hospital from 5 to 10 days with an acute episode and there is no current medicine or treatment that can stop the inflammation. Supportive treatments and strong painkillers may be prescribed during your stay. Antibiotics can sometimes be necessary to treat complications, but they're not routinely used because pancreatitis is not an infection. And it has to be said that pancreatitis, sadly, has the potential for serious consequences. If people are in hospital with acute pancreatitis, one in four of them will get the more body-wide inflammation called sepsis and multi-organ failure. They will need treatment on intensive care units and one in 15 of those to one in five of those people will unfortunately die from pancreatitis. It's a really serious condition and for people who experience that, family members, it it is such a shock because this can happen very, very quickly. My grateful thanks to Julie Thompson from Guts UK. To find out more and to link through to the charity for help and support, visit our website, www.wordandhealth.com. That's www.wordandhealth.com. Word on Health, on air and online 52 weeks of the year with Paul Pennington. Word on Health, your personal prescription for your very best of health. 